I don't know, uh, I'm sure everybody here knows the story of the three little pigs. There's uh, the first little pig, he goes and builds his house out of straw. The second builds his house out of sticks. And the third builds his house out of bricks. And this big bad wolf, he, he looks around and he sees these fat, juicy pigs. And he says, I'm going to make a meal out of those. And so he, he walks up to the, the door of the, the pig of the, house, of the house of straw. And he, he knocks on the door and says, hey, little pig, will you let me in? And this little pig says, no, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. And somehow a wolf, I don't know what their, ox, what their, their capacity is to hold air, but he huffs and puffs and he blows and he knocks that straw house down. And while he's looking for the pig in there, the pig gets away. And he runs to his brother's house. And so this, the wolf says, man, bummer, well, I know where the other pig is at. So he goes and he knocks on the, the, the house, the door of the house made of sticks. Says, hey, little pigs, because now there's two, let me in. They said, not by the hair of her chinny chin chin, and they're afraid because they saw what he just did. And he says, okay, I'm going to huff and puff and blow your house down. He goes, and he blows the house down. And while he's in there, the dust is settling. He's looking for the pigs. Well, the pigs have beelined it to the, the house of bricks. And he goes, man, that's, I'm 0 for 2, but I know now there's three pigs. And so he heads to the house of bricks. He says, look, pigs, you already know what I can do. Just let me in. And they said, not by the hair of our chinny chin chin. And he huffs. And he puffs. And he blows. And he huffs. And he puffs and he blows again. And you guys know the story. And there's, there's, different, there's different endings to the story. Some say he huffed and he puffed and he, he passed out and he, he never recovered. Some say he climbed up on a roof and he fell into the through the chimney into this boiling pot of water. But the pigs were safe because they were in this house of bricks. Now, what you may not know about that story is the night before these pigs left home, they had a little chat with mom and pa around the table. And they tried to explain to these three little pigs the dangers of what were in the forest and what were in the fields uh, and how to build their houses. Well, the first little pig, he was daydreaming and looking out the window while mom and dad talked. The second one, he was playing on his phone while mom and dad talked. But the third little pig, he was taking notes. He was, he was asking questions. He was sketching. Dad, what do you think about this? And so he was ready when he left the house. And so the next morning, all three pigs left. said, thank you, mom and dad, for the advice. And they went and they started building houses just the way they wanted to. Now, listening to the story of the three little pigs, which one do you think really listened enough to put what he heard into practice. Jesus, today, in Luke chapter 6, talks about how it's not just enough to hear what I say. You've got to take it and put it into practice. And after a little while, we'll see what it's like to build a house that way, but not yet. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. It says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he was like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. The very first thing Jesus does is he asks a very kind of upfront, personal, in-your-face kind of questions. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I say? 
Now, when, people, when he's saying, why, don't you, why do you call me Lord? Well, the term Lord is like uh, the one that I'm following. You're the boss. You're my leader. Why do you call me the boss, the leader, if you don't do what I say? And when he says, Lord, Lord, that twice is like for extra emphasis. When people say, Lord, Lord, they're trying to convince somebody that they're following them and that they're doing exactly what that person wants. And as Jesus says this, there's really no nice way to say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? There's, there's got to be sarcasm, or there's got to be irritation or frustration when you say, why do you call me Lord, Lord? I mean, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I say? There's just no nice way to say this. You would, you would understand the same thing. If you were a boss, and you had employees, and you told them what to do, and they said, okay, we know what you want us to do, and they go out and do it, but they do whatever they want to do, are you happy with them? I mean, if you, if you go to them and you talk to them, isn't it, aren't you frustrated, irritated that I just told you what to do, but you did not do it? Or if you're a coach and you, you draw up this play and you want the, the, the kid to go run this basketball play or this football play, and then they go out and do whatever they want, and they say, hey, coach, coach, how could you be happy with that? Or if you're a parent, you tell your kids, hey, Noah, Caleb, go clean your room. Okay, Dad. And you come back later on and they haven't done it. Frustration. Why do you call me dad if you don't do what I say? That's the same kind of feeling. You'd be irritated, you'd be frustrated, you'd be disappointed. But even if you have the ability to pull your eye, wool over my eyes, my kids can do that if they really try to. I'm not that awesome. You can pull the wool over your coach's eyes or your boss's eyes at times, but you can never pull the wool over Jesus' eyes. He sees all and he knows all. So let me ask you a very upfront, personal, in-your-face question that I would have to ask myself. Is Jesus Lord of my life? Is Jesus Lord of your life? This is the same question Jesus is asking the people. Now we're going to look at three ways to make Jesus Lord of your life, and one proof that he really is. In verse 47, we find these in, in a kind of real quick order. He says, I will show you what he's like who comes to me, Here's my words and puts them into practice. So the first thing he says, you got to come to me. You got to come to Jesus. And when Jesus is talking to these people, uh, I'll tell you that in a minute. First of all, when you got to come to Jesus, you got to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's no way you can call Jesus Lord if you have not done that. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, which was right before the passage that Steve read about the same exact thing, uh, he he says, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many are going to say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and do many miracles? Those are incredible things that I cannot do. He says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew, me. I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. They were doing all these great things, but the thing that they were missing was their relationship with Jesus. They were relying on these good things. Say, hey, look, God, look, Jesus, these are the things that I do. Aren't I worthy to get into heaven because I did this even in your name? And Jesus says, apart, depart from me, I never knew you. There was never a relationship that you and I had. So part A of coming to Jesus is you've got to have him as your Savior. Part B is you've got to put yourself in a position to hear from Jesus. And you guys all did that today. You guys all, whether you came 40 miles or you just came down the sidewalk, you drove 10 miles, 
you guys came here and put yourself in a position to hear from Jesus. Not because I am anything special, but because we are reading his words, and so you're in a position to hear it. When you open your Bible, very easy, I'm in a position to hear from Jesus because I opened his word. When I turn on the radio to KGLE or to 106.7, when I know there could be a radio preacher on, I'm putting myself in a position to hear from Jesus. Or when I go online and I go to a website that has radio preaching, I'm putting myself there, right? You have to be there. You don't hear, you don't know, read from the Bible unless you open up the Bible. You got to come to Jesus. Put yourself in that position, which is a great start. And I'm proud of everybody here who did that. Pat yourself on the back. I came and put myself in a position to hear from Jesus. The second thing, though, is you have to hear the words of Jesus. Uh, you can do this throughout the week when you read your Bible for yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm reading it. I'm hearing from him because he's speaking to me while I read his word. Now, I know it's really easy for me to do because I get up here and I have to tell you something that the Bible says. But what I try to do on my own is in the morning, I try to read something in the New Testament and read through the Bible. And in the evening, I read through the Old Testament. Just a couple of chapters. It's not like this great big length amount of time, but I'm putting myself in a position, and I'm trying to hear from Jesus. And that's what you can do. Now, let me suggest that you do that whenever it works best for you. Some people say, hey, you got to get up first thing in the morning and, and read your Bible and pray. Now, if I do that, I find myself waking up. Because if I, if I get up from sleeping and I sit down and I try to pray, I go back to sleep. i got, I got to do something else kind of in between. And so pick a time that works. My kids, no one Caleb, they get out their action Bible, and they read those things in the morning. I'm like, I don't know how you do that. They'll lay on the floor or on their bed, and they'll read those things. And they, they get their reading done for the day. Me, it takes a cup of coffee, it takes a little bit of time, and then I can do it. And then at night, it works the best for me. I can stay up for a long amount of time at night. So pick a time that works for you. Also, to hear from Jesus, you follow along with what? An example is to follow along with what a speaker is saying or a preacher is saying. You get your, your Bible out and you follow and say, yep, that's what it's really saying. Or if you hear a message on the radio or online, is you're looking to see what is really in there. And Paul commended the Berean church for doing that. Because he would uh, talk to the people, like in a synagogue, and they didn't have access like you and I do. They didn't have a Bible that you just follow along and say, yep, that's, really, that's exactly what the words say. You know, they, I know he, I, I'm not sure what they had at that point, but they didn't have a, a Bible like this. They might have had a scroll at home where you can go home and check it out, but it wasn't like you're just pulling out scroll after scroll to read what the Bible said. So you had, in order to check out what he was saying, they had to listen. They had to get there, put themselves in a position. They had to listen. They had to follow along and remember. They might even have to take notes of some kind so that they could go home or they could go check out the scroll and see if what he said was really true, and he commended them for that. Now, a lot of people listen to somebody speaking the Bible, just like you do, uh, like an illustration I came across of people when they get on an airplane. When, uh, when you sit there and the, the stewardess gets on and says, hey, these are the things you need to know if you're going to fly this airplane, just in case we have an emergency landing, this is what's going to happen. Well, there's this one airline uh, person, they got so fed up with people not paying attention when he or she spoke, that says, 
When the mask drops, put it over your navel and breathe calmly. And nobody even noticed because they weren't paying attention. And you know what? That happens in church too. My eyes glaze over. Really, it's easy. I mean, I've been in your shoes, so I'm not looking and saying, hey, it's you and you. But I've been there. I know exactly what it's like. Sometimes it's like, okay, uh, other things are more important on my mind, but you have to force yourself to pay attention. It's easy to read the Bible. Say, I read three chapters. I have no idea what I read, but I know my eyes touch every single word. That, that happens too. I thought about taking $2, because Noah said he, he gave me $2 this morning. I thought about saying, you know, to test this out, to say, hey, the first person who comes up here can have $2. Anybody paying attention? And I was like, I want my $2 back. <laughs> okay, so you've got to put yourself, uh, you've got to come to Jesus. You've got to put yourself in a position to hear from him, and then you've got to make sure you're focusing. And the third thing, which is the toughest, is to put it into practice. When you hear God's word, do it. When you read God's word, do it. That's where it gets tough. Sometimes it's going to be stop. Stop doing this. Stop gossiping. Stop lying. Stop judging. Stop stealing. Stop thinking those thoughts. Uh, in Sunday school, the last couple of weeks, we were reading uh, or going through some of the, the book of Judges. And you had the whole nation that were turning away from God, and then they would get put into captivity, and then they would come back, and then they would fall away from God, and they would follow, worship other idols, and then they would get brought back because they made some, something else more important than God. So that's one thing we might need to do. It's to stop making other things more important than God. But also, you have to go and do something. What you read in the Bible on your own, what you hear from the Sunday school teacher or the preacher or the radio guys who are just amazing to listen to, or even the Internet, you've got to put it into practice. Now, some of the things that we've looked at here since November, uh, not in any specific order, uh, the first was to go fishing. Remember, go fishing for men. And when Peter was called to go uh, Jesus called him and says, from now on, I'll make you a fisher of men. Uh, we looked at a different time of loving your enemy. All those difficult people, the people that you don't like, and how you have to choose to love those people. It's not something a mushy-gushy feeling that I want to, but you've got to decide I'm going to do this. A couple weeks ago, Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way they should go. You've got to do it. You've got to help them do it. You've got to live a life that helps them understand what does it mean to follow what God's word says. Love the outcast, that strange or that difficult, odd person that you just, just, you just don't jive with because not everybody jives with each other. We need to love those people. Uh, be a willing servant. Back a long time ago, Mary, when she was going to carry Jesus, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She didn't know what was going to come of carrying Jesus. She didn't know if she was going to keep Joseph. She had no idea what life was going to look like. But she says, I'm going to do it. And we learned from that. We got to be willing servants just the same. One of my favorites was be a hometown missionary. We live in Plevna or Baker or Timbuktu. I'm not sure where you live, North Dakota. Be a hometown missionary at your job, in your neighborhood, wherever you're at. Tell those people, that circle of people, about Jesus. Demonstrate it in your life. In the week of uh, the Awana, the Awana uh, message, it was 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who rightly divides the word of truth, who correctly handles it. These are some of the things that we've learned. We have to put them into practice. 
And it is great. It's great that you guys are here, and I, I really am thrilled to death. I know Fourth of July weekend is a lousy time for, for most people to come to church. It's a great time to get away, and I, I'm, I understand that. Uh, and it's great to, to put yourself in a position to hear from Jesus, but we just have to make sure that we do it. If we, if we just fill up our think tanks with all this information, and we can teach it, and we can get arguments about what's, what's it say and what it doesn't say, but we don't live it out, and even me too. I mean, I, it says in James that if you teach, you're going to be judged more strictly. I'm not getting up here saying, well, you guys should do this. I've got to make sure that I do it too. Okay, so uh, when Jesus is talking about this, um, he, has, he talks to the people about uh, building your houses on foundations of, of sand or foundations of rock. And so I thought I'll, I'll give a couple visual pictures of what that might look like. This first one, obviously you see this great big amount of sand, and I don't know what's beyond the fence, but you can tell that that did not stay standing. The ground was not solid enough to hold that. This other one definitely is built upon the rock, right? There's no denying that that's a brick house built on rock, and it's going to withstand far more than this one. Okay, next slide. Okay, so a house built on rock. Anybody want to live there? It's obviously built on the rock. It's probably going to withstand a lot. Okay, next slide. There's a house that doesn't look like it's built on a rock to me. It's got water here, and it looks like it's got a cement foundation, like a flat level foundation. It faced some kind of storm, and I don't know what it was, but it did not stay standing. Anybody want to live there? No? Okay, next slide. What do you see? A house built on the rock. That's a house that's probably going to withstand uh, most of what the water can give it. Next slide. Now, that house is built on the sand, and I, you, you see, uh, it doesn't, you don't see it completely ruined. You don't see it completely flat, but you can tell that it's leaning, right? If you put the marble on the floor, it's going this way really fast. Because the sand, even though it's, there's not the water that's touching it right now, the water has affected it. You know, if you, if you build your house upon the sand, and the water rushes by down here, well, it's going to start eroding the sand, and it's going to start making that house do exactly what that did and start to lean it. It looks like a very nice house, though, right? I mean, that's, that's a very nice house. It's got, it probably has some kind, of, some kind of basement. It's got the porch, and it's got two levels and a fireplace and all sorts of stuff. Anybody want to live there? No, I don't want to either. Okay, one more. Okay, and that's where we're going to leave it at. We got this lighthouse, and it's built, looks like, in the middle of the ocean. You, it, it's a really small, right below the word what, there's a guy that's about this big that's just standing there. And all this water is rushing past him. If that was a house built on sand, it would be gone. But it's built on a rock. It's made out of cement that the water can come day after day, storm after storm, and it has no issues whatsoever. Now, the houses in the Bible time weren't built in that, exactly that way. They didn't. They didn't have these big, huge cement foundations, but they understood the idea. Of it was important to dig deep uh, in, the, in the ground if you're going to have a house stand in a storm. And they understood uh, that it made, you had to be careful about where you picked your location. If you stuck your uh, house in the middle of a creek bed, well, they have huge downpours, and they would just wipe everything out. If you built it up a little bit higher... They understood that the, the sand would start washing it away. It would affect it, and the house would collapse. But if you built it on a rock, even though it's hard work to build on a rock, it's not level. I mean, if you, if you were to build a, 
in the sand with uh, build a house or anything, it's real easy to get your two by four level because you just shimmy it back and forth. You put your your level on it. It's exactly right. Easy. But on a rock, you, you're chipping away and you keep banging it away. You got to make it exactly level. You got to nail into that rock somehow in order to make it stand firm. Now, when you're when you're going to build a house like like uh, this house or any of those houses that you saw. Uh, is it time to build the foundation before or after the storm? I mean, if it's starting to pour and your house is sitting on a sandy spot, what do you do? You run, right? You know the water's coming. You don't start trying to dig underneath the house and build a foundation for it. It's too late. And this, this is a picture not about building, you know, because Jesus, he, wasn't, he was a carpenter, but he wasn't all about let's build houses. He's talking, using this as a picture of how you build your life because storms are a major part of life. Uh, and the time to start building your foundation is not in the middle of a storm. You've got to prepare now by putting God's word, like by putting yourself in a position to hear God's word so that you can know it and obey it so when the storm comes, you are okay. And storms are going to come in your life. And you guys already know that. Some storms are going to be uh, a marriage storm. You know, Leslie and I, we've been married for 14 and a half years. But I'll tell you what, the first seven years... If it was not for Jesus, we would not be together. And we, we would tell each other that. I'm staying together because of God. You want out of this? You do it. I'm not doing it. Because, but it was because of Jesus, because of that foundation we had. We're like, I'm just going to weather the storm. I don't know if I'm ever going to survive it. But it's the truth. But it's only because of Jesus. It might be a financial loss, a financial investment. Everything, money was going to the stock market. Things were going great. And all of a sudden... It's all gone. Physical, people with cancer, uh, or people, uh, Josh Simpson with his eye, who, who might, who's going blind, and uh, Luke. How is Luke getting through what he's going through? How does he not just bail on God and say, I hate God and I hate life? Because he's got a foundation on rock. His foundation is Jesus, so he can weather this storm. And it could go on and on with your possessions, the tornado, the hailstorm that came through last year. Or loss of a job. You know, storms are going to come. But if you don't have Jesus as your rock, as your foundation, there is no way you're going to make it through the storm. You've got to have Jesus as your foundation. And there's a second way of looking at this. Uh, a lot of people build their life on something else. If you, I mean, there's, you build your life on Jesus, you're trusting Jesus as your Savior. That's building your life on a rock. That's the foundation that you need is Jesus as your Savior. We looked at that a few minutes ago. But a lot of people don't do that. They want to build their life on, I'm a good person. I, I mean, the whole world would say, hey, I'm a good person. If anyone deserves that, that guy should get to heaven, it's me. People rely on the fact that they haven't done the big sins. I'm not that bad. I haven't done those big things. Or that at some point in my life, I was baptized. As a baby, as an adult, I, I said the magic words. I said the prayer. But there's a lot of people we saw in Matthew who say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things? He said, we didn't have a relationship. You didn't know me as your Savior, and, and we didn't have this relationship, and so depart from me, I never knew you. And today we have the chance of, to remember what Jesus did. When, when Jesus came to this earth, he came to die on a cross so we could have a solid foundation. So we didn't have to try to rely on our sandy foundation of good works and of doing enough good deeds, of not being bad enough to not deserve to get to heaven. Jesus came to give us a firm foundation by dying on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could have eternal life. 
And if you've done that, your rock is Jesus. And the storms are going to come, and, and it may not always feel like a good thing, but if, you, if your foundation is Jesus, you've trusted him as your Savior. And if not, then one day you're going to stand before God all by yourself, face to face, one-on-one. If your foundation is Jesus, you get eternal life. If your foundation is not Jesus, you get eternal hell and torment and pain and darkness and fire and hell, brimstone. It is not some place that you want to go. I've obviously never been there, and I don't want you to go there. And Jesus does not want you to go there. That's why Jesus came to this earth to die a miserable death to give us a, a free gift that we could not earn and we do not deserve. And so here in just a minute, we're going to take the chance to, to remember that. Remember it with a little piece of bread that represents Jesus' body and a little cup that represents Jesus' Jesus's blood. But before I call the deacons up here, I just want to take a couple minutes and make sure, or give everybody a chance to make sure everything is right between you and God. A, I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and B, that there is no sin in my life that's going to affect, that's ruining my relationship with Jesus right now. So let's just take a couple minutes and make sure everything is right between us and God, and then I'll call the deacons forward.